people identify a level of excellence, a level of excellence, a standard of excellence with who you are and what you do. And when you lower that standard, you lower your brand's power. I don't throw darts at a board. I bet on sure things. Read Sun Tzu, The Art of War. Every battle is won before it's ever fought. Think about it. Welcome to another episode of the Profitable Property Management Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Wayla. I have Phil Owen on the show today. Phil, thanks for coming on. Hey, thanks for having me. Great to be with you. Excited to chat with you today. We can talk about a lot of things related to the industry as a whole. And I want to talk about that with you because you're an industry guy. You've been in this game for a while. You're thinking about the big picture. You're playing the long game. It's something I appreciate about you. I want to hear a little bit about your background, about how you got into this industry given that you didn't grow up as a property manager, as neither did I, and yet here we are so embedded in it. How'd you get here? You know, my, my path was always destined to be in, in the property management industry. I, I have a degree that qualifies for me uh, in philosophy. Ah, very uh, so relevant. I think clear, clearly, you know, that was, that was what I was going to college thinking, let's go, let's go down the property management path. Uh, no, I, uh, I actually did uh, fiber optic uh, communications uh, out of college and and in doing that, ended up working in an environment where you're managing a labor force, um, being able to get the logistics and those kind of things. And then uh, went to church with a guy named James Alderson in San Antonio, Texas. Small and, world. Right. And started to move my family back to East Tennessee. And he approached me and said, you know, hey, uh, I've got this company that I'm looking to expand out of Texas. Uh, as you go back to East Tennessee, if you meet anybody that's of an entrepreneurial mind who would find this interesting, let me know. And he started telling me about on-site pros. And the more I listened to him, I, I said, hey, that, I, I'd, I'd like to talk to you a whole lot more about this. <laughs> and so long story short, uh, we decided to partner together. And then uh, a couple of years ago, James decided, hey, I'm, I'm ready to be able to ride off in the sunset a little bit and spend more time on my grandkids. So myself and a group of investors um, bought out all but 10%. He's still on our board of directors and still associated with the company. Uh, but that was, that was kind of, he, he, he brought me into the industry. And of course, he's not only a, a vendor, he, he started as a property manager. And so he was able to bring me up in the ways of property management and, and sort of baptize me into the industry a little bit. So for those that don't know, what does Onsite Pros do? So Onsite Pros is a property awareness company, and we're, we're boots on the ground. Uh, we're only in 24 markets around the country in 10 states, 11 states now. Uh, but uh, we go into properties on behalf of property managers, and as an independent third party, we document with photographic reports the condition of the property before a tenant moves in, periodically during tenancy, uh, and then at the conclusion of the lease. So we're, we're looking to be able to alleviate the problem of security deposit disputes, and then also making sure that there's accountability during the course of the lease uh, to make sure that the asset is properly maintained. I want to ask you a very blunt and direct question. Property inspections, is that a skill set? Like you walk in, you take some pictures, like what's what's the what's the value add here, Phil? Yeah. So when, when you say it's a skill set, you know, it, what we really have to be able to teach people to do 
is to think like a property manager. You know, anybody can take pictures. I say anybody. Uh, it's amazing. There, there are people who that's not their skill set. But in general, you know, pretty much anyone's able to, to go in and take pictures. But we talk a lot about you're not a picture taker, you're a storyteller. Hmm. And you've got to be able to learn to think in terms of, uh, and property managers know this, they've, they've trained themselves for years to, to learn the things to look for that don't look alarming. But my goodness, you see that small brown spot on the ceiling and it looks innocuous, uh, but you know what, what that's going to lead to if, if left unattended. So teaching them to think like a property manager, think like a lawyer, and think like a homeowner to say, if I were the homeowner, what would I want to know about this property right now? So it's really just finding people who are learners uh, and then finding people who have a, uh, a certain ability to interact with people uh, because you're, you're going into tenants' homes. Mm -hmm. Property managers know uh, how fraught with peril that can be. Sure. Uh, you know, so you got to be able to, to have people who have a way with people and, and can diffuse the tense situations. So tell me more about that. Unpack that. Give me an example. What's, what's some of the nuance there? Yeah, I mean, so you know, it's, it's not uncommon you know, that we, we show up and knock on the door and before we can say, hi, my name is, they're like, I'm so glad you're here because I've called you guys three times and I've told you that I had roaches and I was one day late on my rent. And you know, we're going, whoa, 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 we're not even the property management <laughs> company, man, <laughs> you know, but, uh, you know, but then you get into the house and you discover things that shouldn't be there or shouldn't be going on and being able to, to handle that in a diplomatic way and try to not address it in the moment because our job is not to address those things. Our job is to document it and get it to the property manager where they can then review that on their own time mm. and using their own resources to decide what they want to do about it. Our job is just to be able to document it and make sure the property manager is aware. So being able to kind of do those things, one of the big things is just being able to put tenants at ease. I mean, you can, we talk a lot about empathy in our business. Um, we try to teach our people, imagine what it would be like to have somebody come into your home and start just taking pictures of everything. I mean, people's dukes go up. It, it's uncomfortable. And so teaching them to be able to put people's minds at ease to go, hey, this is not about you. We're in hundreds of homes a day and we're taking, we're doing the same report all across the country. This is what we're, we're trying to accomplish. Imagine that you owned another home and someone else was living in it. You would want to be able to look at it and make sure that everything was okay. That's what we're here to do. You're not in trouble. We're just here to document, you know, just being able to put people's minds at ease. Uh, my business partner, Mark, likes to talk about having sincere eyes. I still have no idea what that means. Uh, but just being able to, to, to put people at ease uh, and, and take what can be a, a very tense situation and, and bring in peace to it. This brings up an interesting question. When you think about client qualification, the type of company that you do and don't want to work with, I'm thinking about you working for, let's say it's a, a, a class C management company, right? We've heard of a class C property, class C owner, let's say it's a class C management company and you're going back there in a quarterly basis and it's a dump and it's getting worse and worse and inspections aren't done. What are the requirements of the type of clientele that you work with? What needs to be true about a management company for you to want to and be willing to work with them? You know, I don't know that we have just a, a list of, of requirements, but we do that for us, the quickest way for us to part ways. Uh, and I don't know if I should be saying, I'm sad, sad to say, but the truth is um, we, we part ways with clients on somewhat of a regular basis. What we're looking for is a partnership mentality of people who know that we're there to make them successful 
and they want to help us make them successful. Mm -hmm. uh, there are people who, uh, for whatever reason, see vendors as errand boys. That's it. Yeah. And you're going to go do this and you're going to, and this is what I want. And this is how I like, you know, we always try to do the right thing. And so if someone. You're not needing to be told. That's right. Yeah. So, and that doesn't mean we do it right all the time. Sure, of course. We're going to make mistakes, wow. but we have a long history of fixing the mistakes that we make. You know, when we, when we don't do it right, we're going to own it, improve from it and try to make right what, what happened. Um, when people don't have that posture of partnership with us, uh, that's probably the biggest qualification of a client for us is we want people who are invested in mutual success, who believe what we believe about our relationship, which is we can make one another better. Um, I don't really mind so much the asset class. Uh, we do extremely opulent homes and we do homes that it's like, oh man, I'm not sure I should get out of the car right now. <laughs> you know, uh, both of those are okay. So long as the partnership mentality between the companies, because people who manage the C-class properties also need to know what's happening at the properties. And we want to be able to provide that visibility, that awareness for them. Um, so long as we approach the partnership in the, in the same way. That's, that's really what we're looking for in your clients. Phil, outsourcing is so interesting to me. Indulge me in this thought experiment. I run a PM company and I want to maximally outsource. How, how far could I get? I could outsource my uh, leasing lines. I could outsource the entire leasing function. I talked to Sunroom Rentals today. They're new on the scene and that's what they're doing that. I could outsource a lot of the maintenance, everything from uh, somewhere in between with property meld, or I could outsource by uh, using a, a maintenance call answering service. Uh, I could certainly outsource my accounting. I can outsource inspections. So you can outsource a ton. Most folks choose one or two of these use cases, not every single use case. But fundamentally, when talking about outsourcing, how do you think about the value add that exists? In your mind, agnostic of just the, the category that you sit in, what is the case to be made of when to choose to outsource versus insource? I think there are two primary criteria for whether you should outsource. Number one is, is it your specialty? Is it, is it your, Jeremy Pound says, is it your special sauce? You know, is it what makes you unique? Mm -hmm. uh, Matthew Trigangali says, is it your superpower? You know, is that what makes your business great? Uh, if it's unique to you, and if that's what makes you stand out from your competitors. Um, Probably don't let it go. You don't want to let that go, you know. But you look at things like accounting, you know. Nobody ever gets an accolade from the IRS at the end of the year going, your books look so good. We just, you know what, we're going to lower your, your tax bill uh, because you guys did so well. Like you either get it right or you don't. Uh, that's not what makes you great in property management, right? Um, so that's number one is just being able to identify the things that aren't central to your identity as an entrepreneur or as a business owner. Number two is having a good company to outsource it to. Uh, I'll use accounting as, a, as another example. Again, uh, I, I know of a company who outsourced their accounting and they outsourced it to the absolute cheapest possible group. Wouldn't do that. I would not recommend that. It was an utter disaster. Like they're still cleaning up the mess, mm. you know, years later uh, from, from the, the, the way that it went. Um, 
if you can't find someone that you trust, if you can't some, find someone who's capable of doing it better than you, keep it. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, when you outsource, not only do you get something taken off of your plate, you find someone that it, it's their specialty. And I'll, I'll use us as an example. Um, property managers in general, you know, they scramble around and they're, they're trying to cram in because they've made promises to their, their landlords that we're going to be on the property every six months, every 12 months, every four months, you know, whatever. And they're just scrambling around trying to get it. They're getting in the property, their phone's ringing in their pocket. They got the, the text messages, the emails, the phone calls. They're either distracted by taking those or they're ignoring them. And then they get back to the office and they got six hours of work by the time they get back to the office. You're not effective in that, right? But when you outsource it to somebody that that is their focus, mm -hmm. look at the things that are taking you away from your core focus, whatever that might be. Do the things. We, we talk to property managers about we want to put you in a situation where you are not out in the field scrambling around. You're not, you know, running on the treadmill. You're able to be back at your command center so that when your owners call, you're there to help them. When your tenants call, you're there to help them. When a lead comes in, you're on it and you're able to grow your business. Um, find those things, whatever they may be, uh, that aren't core to your or key to your central to your identity uh and the things that you can find someone who can do it at least as good or better than you are if you can meet those two criteria i mean it's kind of a no-brainer to outsource it bring here from lead simple i love lead simple but that feels like a given instead of telling you why i love it here's sarah hatch from hatch property management we're very happy and I recommend so many people to Lead Simple because I'm like, oh my gosh, it changed our world. <laughs> it totally changed our whole way of uh, managing properties and staying in contact. It's the best business investment I've ever made. To learn more and connect with one of my teammates, go to leadsimple.com slash podcast today. We'll wrap on this point and then we'll uh, move on from inspections. Self-inspections, mm. new trend, new thing, COVID kind of forced the issue. Necessity is the mother of invention. There's some, there's some value there. There has to be some level of value there, but there also has to be some finite limits to the value. Having me report on the possibility of me creating a lease violation, fundamentally, that doesn't really seem to make sense to me. What is the context in which you see some level of value for self-inspections? Yeah, I'll tell you. So when COVID hit, we have an app called My Walkthrough that allows the tenant to, it basically replaces the tenant move-in form. And it, it gives them the opportunity to use an app and self-document the condition of the property where they can say, I don't want to be blamed for this, and I don't want to be blamed for this, and I don't want to be blamed for this. People contacted me at the beginning of the pandemic and said, hey, could you modify that? to where tenants could do their own periodic inspections. I was utterly horrified by the idea. I was like, this is the worst possible idea I can ever imagine for so many reasons. And I, I, I completely ignored it because I just, I, I couldn't get, and honestly, you know, to be completely candid, technology is a lot easier way for us to make money than a labor force. Sure. Labor force is hard to manage and margins are low. So from a financial perspective, that would have been a really good and easy change for us to have made. 
philosophically, I didn't feel good about it in my gut and I didn't go with it. My mind has changed substantially uh, over the, the past eight, 12 months. I still fundamentally believe you cannot outsource your job to tenants. That is an abdication of your fiduciary responsibility to the owners. Uh, like So fraught with peril uh, going down that path. You can't say, well, I'm just going to let the tenants do their periodic inspections and I don't need to go do them anymore or I don't need to have somebody else go do them. But what we've come to believe is as a supplemental function, there is real power in that. Uh, so for instance, let's say you have eyes on the property every six months. You or on-site pros or some other uh, third party uh, is getting out to the property every six months. But let's say at month three after you have a tenant move in, you ask them to do a self-inspection and you say, hey, I want you to take pictures of these things because periodic assessments are designed to do three basic things. One, make sure that the tenant is doing what they're supposed to be doing according to the lease, changing the air filters, changing smoke alarm batteries, mowing the yard, you know. Two, make sure they're not doing the things that they're not supposed to be doing according to lease, illicit pets, smoking in the house or near the doorways, you know, trampolines, swing sets, whatever the case may be. And three, looking for insurance risks or unreported or unnoticed maintenance issues that you could catch when they're a small deal before they become a very big deal. I believe that a tenant self-inspection can accomplish one of those three things. There's, the tenant is not qualified to be a maintenance person mm -hmm. to identify things that could potentially mm -hmm. become a bigger issue. You know, I mean, my gosh, some, some tenants aren't qualified to turn on the VCR. Mm -hmm. I can't believe I just said VCR. Can we edit that? Uh, the DVD player, the... Apple Netflix. Yeah, 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 let's go. Netflix that, thank you. Thank you. I'm, I'm slowly getting into the modern era. Um, uh, two, good luck getting the tenant to tell on themselves and be like, oh, by the way, here's the dog we're not supposed to have. Yeah. I mean, it's so easy for them to cover up what they don't want you to see. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, now some of them are going to miss it. Some of them are, you know, the same ones who are, <laughs> anyway, uh, you, some of them are still going to give you some of that stuff, but you're going to miss so much. But what it can do is it can hold them accountable for the things that they're supposed to do. So that first function of making sure that they are doing the things that they're supposed to do. You can say, hey, I want you to take a picture of the front yard and I want to take you a picture of the backyard. Show me that in the last three months, you've mowed at least once, right? Take a picture of your air filter. I want to know that in the last three months, you've changed your, your air filter. Maybe you're on, on, on Second Nature program. I want to make sure, I want to look at that date and make sure that it's what it's supposed to be, mm -hmm. that you're not just having filters pile up in your closet. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, Take a picture of your smoke alarms. I want to see that they're still where they're supposed to be, uh, that they're, they're still in place. You can have them do things that show that they are doing what they're supposed to be doing, according to the lease. Uh, beyond that, I think it's, it's really reckless um, to ask the tenant, you know, hey, tell on yourself. Uh, tell us what, tell us what we, you, you don't want us to know. Uh, and, and let that be your only access to the property, your only property awareness. Um, I can't imagine the conversation with the owner when, you know, you go in after, you know, tenant moves out after a year and the whole house is wrecked with cat urine 
And they're like, how did you not know that they had a cat? I don't know. They didn't mention it in their self-inspection. In their self-inspection, you know, you can't outsource to the tenant, you know. I mean, it's the equivalent of outsourcing, you know, background checks. Hey, tenant, just, we're not going to do a background check independently. Can you, uh, vouch, can, for, can you vouch for these set of facts? Yeah. yeah. Can you can you just tell us that, that you're okay? We trust you. Know? you. Yeah, yeah, right. Sure. I mean, like, you still have a responsibility to get eyes on the property, whether they're your own or a third party. You can't outsource that to a tenant, but you can outsource to the tenant that one function of, hey, every now and then we want you to send us this set of pictures and show us that you are doing the things that you're supposed to be doing, but you can't get them to tell you what they're doing that they're not supposed to be. And you can't let them be the ones to miss a big maintenance issue that then costs the landlord a whole lot of money because you didn't have a professional's eyes on it. Sure. Phil, you mentioned James Alderson previously brought you into the business. Since mm. there's been a transition, you've taken over and you're leading and running the business now. Talk to me a little bit about your management philosophy. In terms of running the company, I really believe in limiting conviction, limiting aspirational ideals, things I write down, things I promote and talk about, the things that are deeply felt. And for me, the things that are deeply felt are the times where I bumped my head hard against something and I've been forced to learn something. And for me, that tends to happen a lot because I like to move fast, but it's those bruises and those bumps that, that build the conviction that I really lean on heavily. Thus far in your career, what have you developed conviction around in terms of your, your philosophy of how you choose to run your business? So I'll share one philosophy with you that is really central to us. And when, when we interview, we, we talk about this to make sure that, that people fit with, with who we are and how we do business. Um, we tell them that we want them to do two things in every communication, whether it's a phone call, an email, a text message, whether you're com communicating with a property manager or a tenant or a teammate, Anytime you're communicating on behalf of on-site pros with another human being, I want you to do two things. One, smile. It changes the tone of your voice on the phone, mm -hmm. but even in written communications, it rewires your brain to think differently. My wife will look at me and be like, what are you grinning at? I'm like, nothing, I'm just sending an email. You know. Uh, but if, if you'll smile while you communicate, you'll communicate differently. And I know that sounds weird. Just sit there and think about just grinning uh, while you're writing an email. But it changes the way that you communicate. Two, and if you think that one was weird, it gets worse. Two is always say I love you. And I don't mean that literally, because that's not weird. That's creepy. That is uh, <laughs> if you're doing that here at the event, that is creepy. Uh, but what I mean is, always find a, a way to communicate care and concern. And I don't mean to fake that. Like, that's hard to fake. Genuinely care, you know. And for us, you know, I tell our team, look, tenants, that's not our client. We, we don't gain any more benefit from a really happy tenant than we do from a mediocre or an upset tenant. As long as we get the job done, okay. But from a human fundamental perspective, we always want our team to think from that person's perspective and find a way to connect with them, find a way to care about them. You'll find everything in life works smoother when people know that you care about who they are. Um, I'll tell you a great example of that, that um, literally left me in tears. Um, 
early in the pandemic, we were scheduling with a tenant and uh, they were on the phone and said, hey, what day are you available? And he's like, why don't you guys just come on Thursday? I mean, it's my birthday, but I'm not going to be seeing anybody anyway. We're all locked down, right? So just come on out. The rep got off the phone. I'm tearing up. I'm going to have to fix this. I'm sorry. Got off the phone, uh, called the technician and said, hey, on Thursday, I want you to go by and get some cupcakes. We'll take care of it. Take some birthday cupcakes to this guy. You know, nobody has to do that. But that guy felt cared for. Mm. Um, connecting with people at a human level yeah, man. Um, is so, so important. If you start with a core conviction like that, everything else kind of falls into place mm-hmm. uh, from there. You know, if, if you really have that genuine concern for people, uh, you want to do the right thing in everything else. Uh, those are the kind of core convictions that if you can establish that with your team, you'll find there's a whole lot of hills you don't have to climb because you, you know. So when we interview and we talk to people about that, you know, they either are like, oh my gosh, my heart is pounding. I want to be a mm-hmm. part of this company so bad. Mm-hmm. Or they're like, dear God, this is a cult. I can't wait to get off this phone. Which you know, either works. Either way is a great outcome mm-hmm. because you've found people who are going to fit or yeah. you've eliminated people who won't. It's polarizing. Right which means it's clear. Yeah. The problem with a lot of values is that they're not, they don't obvious quali- obviously qualify or disqualify people. Yeah. And people are all over the place with core values, no judgment. I've, I'm thinking of a good friend of mine, one of his core values is loyalty. It's working for him, he's making it work, he's owning it, it's dope. It doesn't work for me. It is insufficiently specific, it's ambiguous. There are mm. certain values that uh, they're more like hygiene factors and life for me loyalty kind of falls into that category somebody going to say i'm i'm disloyal how can we how can we the, the question is almost like what are your anti-values mm. your anti-values should shed light on what your values are furthermore the values that we've gotten the most traction with because we've gone through the core value process and it's really been it's been challenging at times there's been multiple iterations there has been some values that intuitively landed immediately and I know that they're landing when they're invoked and they're not invoked in a happy, clappy, repeat it kind of way. They're invoked because they're useful. It's a thinking relational heuristic that informs and is just genuinely useful in terms of how to do your job. I have an ambiguous situation. A decision needs to be made. I'm not sure how do we reason about it. Is it, is it contextual? Is it situational? That's compounding a complexity. Mm. If you can make a decision based on a core value at a 50,000 foot level, that's really, really efficient. But the reality is there's a limited number of those values and they're informed and revealed over time. They're derivative of conviction. You can start off on day one with aspiration. And this is where most people start when they're starting their business. They, they read a book, what should my core values be? You pick things that kind of sound good. That's where I come back to conviction. I appreciate you sharing, sharing that value. Another value that I want to share about you that I pick up and I perceive is I see the patience that you have. I see you playing a long game. This podcast is for residential property managers of America. However, there are also vendors that listen to this podcast. I just, let's uh, just pretend we're having a fireside chat with some other vendors for a moment. I wanna address them and, and where they sit. I observe you, 
as somebody that's been really deeply embedded in the community and is playing the long game. And I love playing the long game because there are so few people that want to do it. It's like being in a marathon. All you have to do is just keep going and you go long enough, people start fading, people start dropping. Talk to me about how you think about investing in the long game when it's not obvious what's going to work. We track SQ. SQLs. I don't want to use jargon here, a sales qualified lead. I come to this event with expectations for my team. And when I say expectations, really that's at the level of my right and left hand, Zach and Bryn, they come with expectations. So it's not like this is happy clappy. There are performance targets. However, I do a whole bunch of stuff that I cannot track the outcome or the yield. I see you doing that too which is thrilling, rewarding, interesting, makes it fun to be in the industry with people like that. How do you think about engaging in that act and then the kind of faith that's required? Well, I, I appreciate you saying that. And it, it is something that we, you know, we, we've been in this for, the company's been in existence for a little over 12 years. I've been in, in it around 10. Uh, and it is one of those things that we know that building great things takes time. And that you you have to start with something that um, people don't change the way they think overnight, and uh, you've got to be able to invest. And you know, we just had an event together. Our our companies partnered together in an event, um, and it's one of those things where uh, we were doing some some broadcasts through that and. Uh, my gosh, you, you know the hours that we all put in together behind the scenes uh, to do that. And then we got maybe you know 500 views of each, each video. And you go, golly, when I take down and I break out how many views versus how many hours, man, is that a great ROI? And part of me wants to go, you know what? We're not going to have thousands of people watching this. Maybe we should mail it in a little bit uh, and have a a product that's commensurate with the audience that's going to consume it. Mm. But if I do that, that would be rational, right? It, I mean, it, it would, it would make log logical sense. But the way that I think about it is if, if you do that, your audience never gets to the thousands of people mm -hmm. because it's those first mm -hmm. 20, 30, mm -hmm. 40, 50 people who watch it and find value in it, who go, Oh my gosh, you guys didn't participate in that. Dude, if that ever happens again, you've got to dive in. That was that was the best hour that I spent all month. You know, um, if you look at it and say I won't accept anything less than my standard, mm, mm. Uh, people will eventually find the value in it. But if you start here and say, "Well, I'll ramp it up to here when when there's enough people interested in it," guess what? there will never be enough people interested in it because you're not going to build something that's worth people being interested in. Uh, you never get to hear if you're providing this. Uh, so we decide that we're going to try to perform here and build something that's worth people coming to over time. Uh, and so everything that we, we, we talk about, you, you talk about core values. Uh, my team has, has joked that one of our unwritten core values is whole ass. Um, <laughs> two cheeks, two cheeks at a <laughs> that's, time. That's right. Uh, so maybe, maybe we'll tone that down to all in, uh, but whatever you call it, um, we don't believe in doing things halfway. Even when the immediate ROI is not there, people begin to identify with your brand, whether you're a vendor, whether you're a property manager, whatever the case may be, 
people identify a level of excellence, a, a level of excellence, a standard of excellence with who you are and what you do. And when you lower that standard, you lower your brand's power. People look at you and say, well, if they did that this way, they're going to take care of my property this way. And you know, I think honestly, that's not even a conscious thought. Mm. It's a intuition. It's a non-articulated thought, but an impulse. You know, if they're that thoughtful, they're probably that 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 way in in all things. And yeah, I don't know. I don't think people, I don't think people think it. I think people feel it. Mm. It's not cognition. It's maybe cognition. It's it's something that's kind of guttural. But I completely agree. Micro judgments is something we do all day long. Mm. It's the caloric efficiency of the of the mental expenditure of mental cycles and units to hack to do crazy analysis and in the prefrontal cortex actively evaluating things it's not practical so what do we do shorthand proxies you look at situations and you make a snap judgment in a moment in an instant you have a feeling and a gut and it's based off a series of things that your your subconscious is appreciating but can't even fully articulate but we see that over and over and over again. You know what I call it? I just say vibe. What is mm. the vibe here? Does this feel right? Are people in it? Are they about about it? Are they trying to get paid? You know, you and I talk with other vendors. And one of the things that I find interesting is when I relate to other vendors, the size and scope of the game that they're playing feels very obvious to me in a very short period of time. One of the things I'm fond of saying and my staff hears me say this regularly. I've started a couple of businesses. So people come to me for JV partnership opportunities. My staff has heard me say a million times, 99% of biz dev is a waste of time. I come to you, hey, Phil, I want a partner. What do I, what do I mean? I want you to send me business. You know people. Can you That's send right. me business? Yeah. That is going nowhere. I have no interest, no time, and no patience in a you send me business, I'll send you business. That's a that's a commercial transaction. Mm -hmm. What works for me is my clients will benefit by using you. I sincerely believe that. And on that basis, because I'm in it, I'm with them. I understand the, the, the full depth of considerations in their life and therefore I'm a trusted advisor and a counselor. It just makes sense. Mm. So I would, I, I don't get paid in these referral relationships. You don't pay me anything. But if I'm talking with somebody that has that need, I would default to recommending what you do. That's a longer game. It's earned. It's bias. It's preference. Are these people uh, enjoyable? Are they invested? It's a much, much longer game, but it's a more satisfying game. And that's what I picked up on what you said previously is the joy. Stamina for me is derivative of enjoying what I'm doing. And I cannot enjoy what I am doing if I am constantly trying to check and calculate the money mm. coming in. The money ebbs and flows, it, it's up and down. But the things that are true to you, when you're playing your own game, staying in your own lane, listening to the, tuning into the, the, the station and the frequency that's authentic to you, that's stamina. So again, I wanna salute you for operating in that way. I think there's there's examples and things that people can learn from you. One of my takeaways is that your game is different than my game. We're both playing the long game, but the way you're executing on it is different than me. I've got my style and, and fashion. It really works for me. And sometimes I can get on thinking like, I'm doing it the right way. I'm doing it a way. It's deeply satisfying for me. But when mm. I interact with people like you, it's a great check. It's a great reminder. Like you, you, you have a different angle. You're, you're doing some things that 
would not be as uh, as as obvious of a win for me. I don't know mm. if I could execute on the playbook that you're using. Um, and that's the depth and the richness of being in this industry and meeting other people. I mean, we could list off some other friends that are doing the essence of this same thing, but they're all doing it in their unique way. And it just would not work for me to try to copy you or vice versa. Mm. You feel me? Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, and, and I love what you're talking about at two levels there. One, I think that's the value of partnerships uh, because there, there are things that I observe that, that you and, and your companies do uh, this podcast, for example. I mean, you're so gifted as a conversationalist. You're kind, thank and you. And you, you bring out great ideas in people and you, you, you help them to provide their story and their value propositions in a way that other people can digest it. That's something that I look at and go, man, I love that. And I would love to sit on this side of the couch across from you uh, and be a part of that. But for me to try to go and build what you've built uh, that that's not something that I'm deeply gifted at, but you and I can partner together and mm -hmm. we can mm -hmm. co-host a show and I can come and sit mm -hmm. on your show. Mm -hmm. But this is something that the events are something that we're really great mm -hmm. at. Those are things that you guys can jump in and man, you've got people on your team who contribute so deeply every time we partner together on an event, because you've got so many gifted people, we can take our core we're outsourcing to each other. Mm -hmm. Just like we were, we were talking about, we, we take the things that we're great at mm -hmm. and then we find people who can help us be greater at them. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing I love about what you were talking about, you know, we have people come to us all the time and go, hey, we've got this referral program and if you'll send us business, we'll, we'll pay you this and this and this. We've declined every time. We only have one relationship that is financially tied and that's because there's a software tie-in mm -hmm. to how that works. Aside from that, we've declined every time. And I've said, listen, I'm going to decline that. But it's not because I'm not going to send you business. Mm -hmm. I am. But when I send you business, it's going to be because I believe in your product. Because I don't want my clients to ever have to wonder, are they only mm -hmm. referring to me mm -hmm. to that business because they have some sort of a vested interest? They, ha they get something out of it. I want them to know that when I tell you, hey, you need to go talk to that I'm sending it because I believe that they are going to gain value from that. If I don't have that integrity and that authenticity, then what I say loses value. I would rather have the value in people seeing that, that I'm invested and care about their business and want their success, mm -hmm. than have that immediate short-term return. You talk about playing a long game, that short-term return of a, a check in the pocket, mm. that relationship and trust that you build by moving people in a good direction is so much more valuable over time than that short-term commission check or whatever. whatever it almost kind of cheapens things, frankly. It's a fact. It can feel a little dirty that I'm going to yeah. get this little money and I'm going to try and like force some conversation that I otherwise wouldn't have, have brought up. I think if we relate this to our clients' business, another thing that's interesting about the category that you sit in is that you're closer to the category of vendors. There's a category of, of vendors that I don't interact as much with, and those are local vendors. Mm. I'm so tied in and honestly kind of like narrowly tied into the national vendors, but there's a whole ecosystem. Every time I go to a NARPM regional event, a, a, a local chapter mm -hmm. event, there's a bunch of vendors that show up and I, I I don't know any of these people. Some names that come to mind, like ServePro, for example, uh, they're national, but there's a bunch of local vendors. When you think about how this conversation that we're having, the partnership, the dynamicism relates to the property managers and the vendors that they work with, do you think it applies? Is that situation exempt? Is it, you know, 
um, is it a guy in a truck and maybe it's like that it, it's not relevant there or do you see these same dynamics relevant for the PM with their local vendor relationships? No, I definitely do. And, and I, I say that because of the way that I hear uh, property managers talk about other vendors. And I'll, I'll give you a great example of that. Uh, there's a company that we've partnered together with uh, in Atlanta, Georgia, uh, Integrity Restoration, hyper-local. Like they just serve that market. But when you hear their customers talk about them, they know that, hey, when, when they say something, it's because they believe it and they're, they're going to do what they say and they're going to say what they do. You know, like those same values apply at a hyper local level at the same, you know, we're a hybrid between mm -hmm. the national mm -hmm. company and the, the hyper local that, you know, we, we aspire to be uh, truly national, at least in major metropolitan areas. Well, 11 um, states and counting, I mean, you're on your way. Yeah, we're, we're, we're moving, uh, but it's, you know, it's a process, but but I think those same principles apply regardless. It's still all about having that credibility. Uh, you know, I talk to my kids about credibility, about people believing that when you say something, you mean it. Um, that uh, whether you're at a local level or a national level, it doesn't matter. Uh, having that credibility, establishing those relationships and having people think about you in a certain way that everything you do reinforces who you are and is consistent with who you want to be when you grow up. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, those are those are things that to me are are consistent across the board, regardless of the audience you're trying to reach. I like the way you put that. You know, future state. You're, I've heard it said that you're you can work for the job you have, you can work the job you have, or you can work the job that you want to have in the future. And I think that applies with any form of ambition. the The effort has to exceed the current yield if you want the yield to actually grow. Staying on the subject of vendors, what feedback, advice, or thoughts do you have around retaining good local vendors? I'm thinking in the maintenance category specifically, it's such a, it's a hot topic. It's a hairy mess. It's a pain point, really. When you think about frustration, like vocal frustration for PMs, maintenance is one of the places that it comes up. What advice or feedback would you have on how to find and, and retain great vendors? I think the biggest thing I would say is invest in your relationship with your vendors. Get to know the leadership of the company on a personal level, go to dinner with them, have drinks with them, spend time and get to know them and weed out vendors who won't invest in relationships. Mm. Um, because the fact of the matter is you need to know who you're working with in a sense that uh, when something doesn't go according to plan, you know that, hey, I have a relationship with this person. I know they're invested in my success and I can call them and say, this is what happened. This is the issue that it caused me. What are we going to do to resolve it? And you know they're going to jump on it because they're invested in your business and they're invested in your success. Um, if you can establish those relationships, national level, local level, doesn't matter. I think the problem with there are two big issues that people run into with outsourcing. One, they outsource it and hands off. It's not my problem anymore. I don't want to touch it. You know, I just assume that it's being done and I, there's no, not even any checking up on it. And, you know, and then they come back and look at it three years later and they're like, well, for three years, this hasn't been done the way that I needed it done. You know, like you, you, taking your hands off too far too quickly. And two, micromanaging at a granular level. Like if you're going to outsource it, you got to, you got to be able to give it over. 
but invest in those relationships on the front end where you can set the expectations and they can go, that's not a reasonable expectation. That, that's not how we're going to, and you go, okay, we can compromise on that. You know, but it, take that time to vet your vendors and, and spend the time, get to know them. Um, the other big piece of advice I would say in relationship to vendors is until they prove to you that you can't, you know, until they give you reason to question them, don't just call and go crazy the first time something goes wrong. Like call and go, whoa, 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 this isn't what I was expecting. Help me understand what happened here. You know, give them a chance to fix it and demonstrate how they're going to do it. And if they don't, find someone who will. But if they do, go, okay, I've learned that when I bring an issue to light, I've learned how they're going to respond. I've learned what our relationship is going to be. But that's all relationship. Mm, mm, and you can't mm. do that without some measure of investment in relationship. Whether that's a, a, a phone call, a Zoom meeting, coffee, you know, whatever that looks like. Indulge me. What would you say to somebody who says, I don't want to have relationships with my vendors. I pay them money. They do work. I shouldn't have to babysit these people or, you know, have beers with them or send them Christmas gifts. So what would you say to somebody that, that has that impulse? I would, I would say you're going to get out of a relationship what you put into a relationship. Uh, your, your level of investment and revol- involvement in a relationship is, is what you're going to get out of it. Um, because honestly, and I, I tell people this all the time, you know, um, we make it as easy as humanly possible for people to give us feedback on our reports. And I tell them, give it liberally. Like we are making it easy because we want your feedback. We get better when we understand what our clients need and want. Um, If people aren't communicating, what drives me crazy, Jordan, is people who will hire us and just disappear. And then a year later, they're, they're like, yeah, I just, uh, we got this one, sucks. yeah, we got this one report back and I didn't like it. And uh, so we just stopped using you. And I'm like, what? why didn't you just call us? Like, would you want one of your landlords to just terminate your, your contract for 10 houses because one thing happened? Or would you want them to call you and go, hey, wait a minute, not comfortable with this. Is, is this how it's going to be? What do we need to do? Like feedback. It's a partnership uh, and great vendor partnerships are built on communication and relationship. Uh, so if you don't want to invest in it, then when you go to pull, pull cash out of the ATM, you're gonna, gonna get insufficient funds notification. <laughs> like if, if, if you're not feeding into that relationship, it's hard to pull out of it when, when you need it and it's not gonna work as well for you. Uh, and that doesn't mean it's not gonna work, uh, but it's not gonna work as well for you as, as if you invest in relationship. Well said. Brother, I'm grateful to be in the industry with you on this same journey. I appreciate your your vibe and your ethos of giving back and leaning in and doing great work. Appreciate you coming on the show. Likewise, my friend. Love love partnering with you and and love the way that you raise the standard and and further the dialogue in the industry. Greatly, greatly appreciate what you do. Thanks, man. Until next time. Jordan here asking you, what do you got? What is a question you want to ask me? Can you stump me? Can you throw me something hard, perplexing, vexing, something you feel tied up in knots with? Throw it at me. I'll do my best to try and answer that question, to dissect it, to parse out the nuance and maybe help you get a bit more clarity. I'm looking for questions as the basis for creating content and you're looking for answers as the basis for clarity and wouldn't it be perfect if those two things matched up? Drop a comment, send me me an email, jordan at leadsimple.com. Let's stay in the conversation. Peace.